This is Paul Nobles from Eat Inform, and I am here today with Eat Inform coach Susie Glassman. Susie, do you want to say hello to everyone? Sure. Hello, everyone. So, what we thought would be kind of a cool way to, um, you know, kind of kick off this webinar, we 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 were doing um, building blocks. We were really sort of struggling with like what the next level of building blocks, and so we're potentially going to um, add another, you know, podcast layer. Um, and we're sort of trying to figure what that's going to be like, but we, we kind of have some general ideas of what's going to go on there. The one with Meredith and I will stay in place. That'll be um, coming up here soon. I am actually going on vacation next week. <laughs> um, and so, uh, so unfortunately we'll have at least one of those weeks where, we don't have a podcast, but we're hoping to get something together. Um, and well, and I do believe that Brad and I have talked about, I, I may do one with Brad fr the Friday that Paul is out of town, and then I'm out of town the week after that. So we'll get it all together for you guys. But um, there will be one with Brad and I, and whenever whenever we have Brad, we get super science-y. Um, yep. So for all of the, uh, the science geeks out there, uh, I would highly suggest tuning into that one. Yeah, that's probably where we're going to head with that podcast with Susie and Brad being a little bit more on the sciencey side and Meredith and I being a little bit more on the you know entertaining but okay. you know really more um kind of kind of get you the information with without you know your eyes glazing over <laughs> <laughs> um, hopefully that that makes sense. Um, not a not a whole lot to really talk about. You know, we started to do um, the meal planning stuff where, um, you know, we have meal planning templates. So if you're not a member right now and you were thinking about becoming a member, um, that's been a big addition to the bundle. With that bundle, um, you actually can uh, get a custom plan which is that team right now is um, really doing a great job. You know, they take your likes and dislikes and, and kind of make a good plan. It, there is a little bit of a, a one-time cost to that, but it's worth it, <laughs> you know, for them to um, be able to take exactly what you eat, what you like. So if you're thinking about joining, that would be a good thing to sort of um, get rolling with. Um, other than that, not a whole lot going on. You know, we um, it's interesting because I know you just got back from Cancun, was it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and my, you know, I leave for Costa Rica next week. My um, my daughter is actually in China. Um, wow. Yeah, she gets back today. So that's really interesting. But what's really been kind of interesting is that for my kids my oldest moved out and um she's sharing an apartment with some roommates um so that's been kind of new for us as a family and then you know my youngest of course um is is very busy you know she's a junior in high school we're starting to look at colleges and and things of that nature but this was like our first week where we kind of got the empty nest scenario you know um and by the way, I just want to apologize for anybody watching the seminar. The this morning has just been like wild, and I was really hoping to um, you you could kind of see like I I haven't shaved, um, but yeah, 
Um, so okay, yeah, I for, you have, I you have nothing people. but young kids, right? I'm sorry, mine are young. Yeah, young. Yeah. Well, they're nine and seven. They're not super young. But the cool thing about where we're at now is we went on vacation. And at their ages, we have a lot more freedom, I guess, to to kind of um, they can swim in the pool and I don't have to be in the pool with them. And they make friends while they're on vacation and they run around with their friends. And um, we just realized we had finally gotten to this point where it wasn't so much work as it used yeah. to be. So, um, so yeah, so we're enjoying, we're definitely enjoying this stage. Um, you know, they still want to hang out with us, but they also, you know, can enjoy some more freedom and, and we get to relax a bit more. So that was, that was fun. Um, I will say you announced yesterday some updates to the software that oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are fun. Um, and I've been experimenting with that today doing my review. So we actually get a kind of a, we can see a, a compliance score in a way. So kind of how often you are hitting the targets where we want you to hit and then not or if you're under or over. And uh, it helps us as coaches be able to see, you know, how on track you are. And and I think there's some other exciting things, right? Well, the compliance score, we can see it right now, but it will also be in the app relatively soon. Um, and so I think there's a lot of people where it might provide them some real information, you know, where they think that they're being mostly compliant. And then you start to realize, wow, out of, you know, 30 days, you know, 11 of my days, I was either yellow or red, you know, and, um, you know, if you're not an Eat to Perform member, um, you know, one of the things that we talk a lot about is pre-logging, right? And when you pre-log, you, um, you know, you're always going to hit the mark, right? And so that's one big advantage to, to pre-logging. Um, okay, so let's just jump right into the topics because I, I have a feeling it's one of these things that we think about and we think, you know, oh, this will be, you know, 30 to 45-minute podcast, but, you know, the, the topics tend to get a little bit longer. Um, so the first one that we came up with, we came up with five different ideas that that honestly – when people are thinking about it, a lot of times they just think about, well, I'm going to eat less and then I'm going to hit my weight goal and I'm going to stay there forever. And it's like, that's not really how you keep off weight. And that's not really how you see overall progress. And so we're going to walk you through a little bit of what we see with clients and then, you know, how you can bring that into your life as a need to perform member or even if you're not a need to perform member um the one biggest thing and Susie actually wrote an article about this on the main site so you you can go check that out um just you know each form hashtag blog but and it, it kind of related to that story i don't know if you're gonna relate to what i'm about to say here Susie, but um, the number one item is that people don't challenge homeostasis enough, right? And so what I mean by that is, um, is that your body finds balance wherever you're at, right? So you'll see a lot of people going, you know, I, you know, walk 18,000 steps with my Fitbit. Um, you know, I'm meeting 1,200 calories and I can't lose any weight. And that's because your body has established balance at you walking 18,000 steps and, and you know, eating 1,200 calories. 
So you really have only two options there, right? And you know, the what people tend to do, right? I can think of someone within my family that it was so funny. Uh, we we were listening to this David Sedaris book, and um, he talked about a Fitbit, and he talked about the goal of like ten thousand steps a day, and he's like, that is for a beta. That is not for an alpha. That is not for the person that's going to really um, challenge what it's like. And he started talking about doing. He went from 10,000 steps to 12,000 steps to 70,000 steps. Oh, wow. And and so the idea isn't to just go down and just do more stuff, right? Sometimes when we're talking about challenging homeostasis, we have to challenge homeostasis the the other way as well, where calories are going up. Maybe we're focusing a little bit more on muscle building, so we're not necessarily um, – you know, having a million steps a day. Um, the other thing that I think is actually most important to most of the people that aren't members, people like to eat less, but don't like to eat a whole lot less. And so they get to a place, which we kind of call middle land, where they're not really challenging homeostasis, right? And so what ends up happening, so you're not really challenging homeostasis if you just go, down 200 calories, right? Like what we see more than anything is that as people's calories are going up, we can then pull those calories down, right? At a significant deficit. When you just move 200, body can kind of adjust to that really quickly. Actually, when we talk about eating less, your body adjusts to that very quickly, sometimes within two to three weeks. So if you look at the structure of how we do fat loss, how we do our various fat loss phases, we have factored that in. We have factored in the adjustments that your body makes. And so um, so I think I've covered that fairly well. Susie, do you have any any thoughts before we move on to number two? Yeah. I mean, when it comes to – challenging homeostasis you know we're saying basically yeah if you're gonna drop calories your metabolism will adjust to that eventually so i mean i I like your point about i do get people who have been eating 1200 calories for a very long period of time not losing weight um and or even on the other end gaining weight at this point because you eat 1200 calories but then you go out on the weekend and you have this giant meal or you go on vacation and so you say you know i'm eating 1200 calories and and i'm you know it's not working um and i do think that that that's a good point and one of the biggest things that are the tools uh in your toolbox is to challenge it the other direction right and so that's when we talk about adding in let's add in some more calories when you add in calories we've talked about this before there's pressure mental and physical pressure to actually move more um and so you'll start to feel that and so you won't gain weight in the way that you think you will um and you know there's also other ways you know on the on the walking front or on the exercise front that you can look at um you know changing what you do i think we get stuck in training ruts sometimes so you know we don't want to change 
what we're doing. Um, and I always offer people, you know, if you if you're not getting the results that you want from your training, you may need to look at changing your training, things like that. So um, that's all I was going to add on that. Uh, anything? I'm going to add in one more thing because a lot of the time, you know, what Susie was saying at 1,200 calories, when you start to add in calories back the other way, right, where we are a program that teaches you how to do both sides of the things, um, what a lot of people don't realize is that you can actually lose more weight, right, as you're going down. Now, will you lose as much weight as you do with a significant deficit? No, right? I mean, like, typically, you're probably looking at as your calories are going up, the max is probably going to be three to five pounds. Now, there are like these super beast mode people um, that have made a tremendous gains, especially if you have a lot of fat to lose. That is very common that as your calories are going up and your exercise is going up, that you can lose a significant amount of weight. You know, I mean, anywhere from 15 to 20 pounds before you go back into a deficit. Is that common? I would say maybe 5% of the people are like that, but we do get a lot of clients like that, right? We do get a lot of clients that, you know, they've kind of been dieting really hard for a long time. And so, you know, that adjustment is, you know, really helps them in, in, a, in a big way. So I kind of wanted to bring that up because, you know, we actually, that's the other thing I didn't mention. We have do have fan subscriptions, um, so you can become a supporter of the Eat to Perform page. And one of the people that I'm going to profile here um, this weekend is actually one of my clients that came to us from a bodybuilding and physique background, right? So her calories were super, super low. And she's actually at the lowest that she's been up to this point. Um, even lower than when she came in, you know, eating roughly 800 calories. So her calories are actually closing in on 2,000 calories. She's actually losing weight at 2,000 calories compared to when she wasn't losing weight at 800 calories. And, you know, frankly, when you're at 800 calories, you are going to tend to open the binging gate and things of that nature at times. So, so that's something to think about. So Susie's going to take us the rest of the way with two through five. Um, so I will just give you that opportunity. Great. Okay. So the second one that we have is sleep. And I put this one here. I don't think any of these are like in order of importance, but um, I will say it is one of the most overlooked factors when it comes to your fat loss. Uh, there are studies that show, I, I know there was one study that took uh, participants, put them in a metabolic ward, which just means you sleep in a chamber, basically. And I can't even imagine what's hooked up to your mouth. But they're actually, you know, measuring your, your fat, how much fat you're oxidizing or burning um, as you're sleeping. And they had half the, you know, they slept for eight hours a night for I don't know, four or five days, and then they cut their sleep in half, so four hours a night for the next portion of the study. And their their amount of fat metabolism or fat burning um, was reduced by half, right? And the, this was just the overall length of the study wasn't very long, 
Um, but it can show with just, I think with just like five nights of poor sleep um, can, can severely restrict your fat metabolism. So you are not burning fat at rest um, in the way that you would be if you were getting enough sleep. Um, there was another study that took participants and just woke them up every hour over the course of the night. So an alarm would go off. They would have to turn the alarm off. And then when, oh, and it's in the same scenario, right? So they're measuring their, uh, their fat oxidation, it's a fancy word, um, overnight. And then that frequent waking also had the same effect of slowing down the amount of fat they were able to burn at rest. So there's two scenarios here, one where you don't get enough sleep and one where your sleep is constantly interrupted during the course of the night. Um, and, and I think that's pretty common. You know, you've got kids or you've got um, pets in the bed with you or you've got um, you get up to go to the bathroom five times in the middle of the night. It's, it's not uncommon. And I challenge my clients um, to find ways um, to sleep better, um, not only to sleep enough, um, but to increase the quality of their sleep. And that will increase the amount of fat that your body is burning while you're asleep. So there are ways we can work on sleep. I know, Paul, you have some methods we can talk about here, um, you know, to improve your sleep quality. Is there there's some strategies that you use. Would you <clears throat> want to talk about those? Yeah. So I go to bed at 930 every single night. Right. Um, and when I say every single night, I mean every single night. Right. Like I think that you know, now I have a history of, of sleep disorder, so I have to be more disciplined than other people. I think there's a lot of people that have sleep disorders that often don't hold themselves to that standard. And so therefore, um, they, you know, get really frustrated or use like shortcuts like melatonin and, and things of this nature, which all can survey role at times, but at the end of the day, those aren't the answer to the bigger problems. I also nap. Now, it's interesting that, you know, um, Susie was talking about people that are short on sleep, but what's interesting about the people that are short on sleep is that um, a lot of the times that really comes down to kind of managing things overall, like I'll give you an example. So let's say that um, my dog woke me up at two o'clock, which ironically that did happen today, you know? <laughs> um, and so I actually nap. There's a lot of people that will um, do meditation as an example, and they'll talk about meditation and it's this amazing thing for them. You want me to tell you something else that's really amazing? Take an hour out of your day, you know, relax, listen to a podcast, take a 15-minute nap. That'll serve you much better than, than meditation. But what happens, especially for people with disordered sleep, is that when you have five hours sleep, the next night when you hit 9.30, you are asleep at 9.31 rather than – you know, getting to sleep around, let's say, 9.50 or 10.15, right? 
And so what ends up happening is that you're sort of reinforcing, this is actually sleep homeostasis works like this, um, where you end up waking up the next night at two o'clock. You're like, oh my God, it's two o'clock, my new normal. And part of the reason why is because you're overtired and you sleep deeper. And so therefore you wake up earlier. This is a symptom that happens a lot when you take melatonin or, or things like um, ZMA, right? All of things have a role, you know, in, in trying to correct things. But what I thought was the most interesting thing once I started napping, and I've been napping a little over a year now, um, what I found interesting once I started napping was that my, the length of my sleep increased, mm-hmm. right? Um, and it increased because, you know, I wasn't sleeping as deeply, you know, so I was getting kind of like a combination of deep sleep and kind of recovery sleep, you know. So I thought that that was interesting. So a, a good bedtime, um, you know, a lot of people say, well, consistent wake up time. I mean, I wake up typically about five o'clock each morning, you know. So, you know, the what I will say is on the very, very, very rare occasion where I will stay up. I can think of one recently where my daughter had a drumline competition and we didn't get to bed till 11. I was able to sleep in at that moment, but that's very rare for me. Right. Mm-hmm. So those are a couple things that, that I think about related to sleep. Uh, last thing related to sleep, under eating causes sleepness. sleeplessness right so some of those bathroom trips that that Susie's talking about when you're under eating your body's going to release a lot of water that might wake you up in the middle of the night so that's something to think about um but in general when you are putting your body in a stressful position which dieting is you know which is another reason why we recommend that you aren't dieting all of the time doesn't mean that you can't diet on occasion, but just that all of the time thing becomes a bit of the problem. So those are the things that I wanted to cover for sleep. Yeah, one of the other important things is alcohol. Um, you know, alcohol, it's interesting when your body, uh, if you drink alcohol before you go to bed, your body is metabolizing that alcohol. It'll actually wake you up at some point in the night. <laughs> so people do not sleep as deeply, as deeply or as restfully um, with alcohol, I know a lot of people think, well, my glass of wine, it relaxes me, and then I'm going to go to sleep. Um, that's something, you know, you sh- if you know you have sleep issues, <laughs> you should be careful um, of too much alcohol before you go to sleep. And the same other... Thing, same thing with marijuana. Um, right? That was yeah. surprising in the book, you know, Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker. He talked a, a lot about alcohol and he talked about marijuana that people don't get into those deep sleep cycles. So a lot of people do use them to kind of relax and get to that state where they can sleep, but you'd be much better off kind of spending, you know, I would say between, you know, I usually get to bed, uh, fall asleep between let's say 10, 15, 10, 30, but I go to bed at 9, 30. So imagine how much downtime I'm having there. Right. Yeah. And listening to podcasts and, and things of that nature. So so kind of keep that in mind that um, one of the things that I, I think 
happens for a lot of people, I know this happened for me, is that I viewed my bed as the enemy almost, right? <laughs> like I would go in, in <laughs> yeah, where, where it was like, it was like I would go to bed and I'd be restful and I'm moving around and things like this. And I work really hard with blackout blinds and all these things that, that um, you have really added to the equation. But the biggest thing I've added to the equation is just kind of listening to a podcast. I've got a nice, um, it's not a weighted blanket, but it's heavier, right? And then, um, like, just we all think, man, wouldn't it be great if I had more time to relax? You do, right? <laughs> you go to bed at 9.30, you know, and lay there kind of listening to a podcast or whatever. One thing I will say is don't listen to things that are stimulating because, you know, these a lot of these podcasts that are um, – you know, these drama podcasts and murder mysteries and things like that, you know, that's probably not the kind of fair that, that you want to go to. I, I typically go to, you know, something a little bit more light and fluffy, which is usually some type of sports gossip type show where, right. you know, people are arguing about whether or not somebody should be making X amount of dollars or, you know, <laughs> to me that, that, that's like air almost, you know, it doesn't, Affect right. Me. Right. Well, and we could go on and on about sleep. Just, just the, the the main message from here is for you guys to understand how important it is. Yeah. And it does affect your fat metabolism. I do have clients where they have done everything right. They are following their macro plan. They are exercising, um, and they're struggling. And then their sleep is five and a half hours, six hours, um, or they share with me that they they struggle to stay asleep. And I can, you know, guarantee that that's one factor that is holding them back. Yeah. So, um, and you can, there is a great book. Paul mentioned it. It's called Why We Sleep. I believe the author is Matthew Walker. If you want to look that up, it is the, I would say, uh, best reference I've ever seen as far as, um, you know, helping you understand the importance, but also um, understanding how to get better sleep. So I would um, certainly encourage you to pick that up. Um, any thoughts on that? Well, I, I just want to say one thing. One, if you if you're in audio books, it will put you to sleep. Right. Like the, the guy talks, you know, it's a great book to get to sleep. Um, the other thing that I will say is it's a little doom and gloom. Yeah. Right. Like I wish I wish he was able to get across the message without doom and gloom, you know, like to give you an example of one of the doom and gloom things, because there's a lot of them, um, is, you know, he talks about the, the similarities between being drunk and being underslept, right? And um, not that, you know, you can't bring that up, but, you know, you will, if you have trouble sleeping, I think you'll get some, I mean, I started my napping protocol based on reading the book. Right. Um, just because most of the cultures that live the longest do have like a siesta culture where they have like a 15 minute nap. Um, but I would say that the majority of the time my naps don't tend to be just a nap. It really is more of about relaxing and sort of setting up the second second part of the day. But, you know, on the days that and I, I don't nap every single day. There's just some days that it just doesn't come together for me or I'm just too wired for that day. Um, 
on the days that I don't, I don't really worry about it all that much. Sometimes, you know, I actually just slept a little bit longer or deeper that night. Um, so, so that ends up being a factor, but the good majority of the time, once I'm able to kind of get in a good relaxing session and, and kind of get a little siesta in, it's amazing how much my productivity goes up the rest of the day. It is unreal different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's going to lead us into our, our next, uh, topic here, which isn't going to be a huge surprise to anyone, but it is stress. And what Paul is talking about is an excellent way for him to reduce his stress. And, and I know there are people who, you know, work in an office and, and lying down for 15, 20 minutes, is probably not, uh, you know, something that, that you can do. Um, but, you know, it, it makes sense, um, obviously, that the higher stressed you are, um, the more your body is going to, to resist fat loss. Um, you know, I will say that there are we, we talk about this and this is something that Brad and I will get into on our webinar. But, you know, there's a term out there called metabolic flexibility. And it's basically all that means is that when when your body is at rest um, or doing low intensity exercise, you should be using fat for fuel. Um, and then your body uses carbohydrates for fuel on the higher end of the spectrum. So for your, you know, your higher intensity activity, your workouts, um, any type of strength training. Um, but what we find is individuals can be impaired. So on that, you find that they're at rest. Their body isn't burning fat. Their body's actually burning carbohydrates. Um, and so what we're trying to do is increase the amount of time or increase um, your ability to burn fat at rest. And, and one of the things that that will impair that is stress. And there's all kinds of stress. Like most people think of stress as, you know, my job is crazy. You know, my um, I'm having relationship issues, you know, those sorts of things. Stress can also be training stress. Um, stress can be caused by not eating enough. Uh, you know, we talk about a lot about that. That is a um, and then there can be stress from not eating enough with too much training. <laughs> So um, you can find people, it tends to be more um, of your your cardio, um, I don't know, the, the cardio bunny type, for lack of a better word, you know, the people who are just killing themselves on the treadmill um, and eating very little uh, will have challenges losing weight because their body is under a tremendous amount of stress. Um, and then, you know, the, the ways that we want you to focus on reducing your stress and um, Paul hit on a few of those I think you know talking about meditation I actually I used to use an app for that it was like a 10 minute thing and I was like breathe in breathe out I actually don't like that as much as I like just being quiet so I put on like a little babbling brook you know on my phone I use it but it's like the sound of a waterfall or the sound of the ocean or something and then I just you know for 20 minutes just let my thoughts kind of ramble and and um, have some stillness in my life. And I think that that's one thing that's missing a lot from our culture is the ability to just be still um, and to be OK with that. Uh, I think some people think that that being busy is a sign of success or it's a sign of um, uh what do I want to say? It's, it's just a sign of like, I can do this. I can do everything. I'm busy, but I can handle it. And, and I've had to learn to, to have moments where, um, where I'm not busy 
Um, and that that has helped, I think, with my stress. What do you have to say on stress, Paul? So there's a couple things that I always like to mention as it relates to stress. One of the things that helps stress, um, at least as it relates to cortisol, is carbohydrates or mm -hmm. more specifically insulin. So, um, you know, I know that if any of you guys have read anything related to nutrition over the last, you know, 10 years or so, insulin is sort of the bad guy. Um, insulin actually serves, you know, there's this narrative out there that that insulin is a storage hormone. It's actually better described as a building hormone. You can't hold on to muscle or build muscle without insulin, right? So if if you if it weren't for insulin, you would still be an infant, right? Like insulin made you, you know. Mm -hmm. So um, trying to view insulin as kind of a um, positive, right? But when insulin is present cortisol is lower, right? And so you can affect stress by carbohydrates. You know, I know a lot of people think, you know, there's various memes related to this, you know, that carbs make them happy. Um, and in fact, there's scientific evidence that that is in fact true, right? That, that when cortisol levels are lower uh, or insulin levels are higher related to carbohydrates and protein intake, um, you are going to be more satiated and you will have less cortisol through your body. Um, one of the things that was interesting that I didn't want people to take the wrong way from what Susie said is that, uh, so I have a whoop, you know, and I'll show you guys. Um, it's like a little computer on my arm. And um, what the whoop measures is my ability or it measures it's they call it strain right and what's interesting about strain and recovery is that it actually gets better when you put stress on right mm -hmm. so let me give you an example of what i mean when you go to work out so how many people do you know oh you know that's my zen place is the gym and i get out all my stress there Actually, no, you don't. Where you get your stress out is in the recovery phase, right? So actually, exercise is more stressful, but because of that stress, you're actually challenging homeostasis, which I talked about earlier, but you're also making your body adapt to the stimulus, right? So Susie talked about it a little bit earlier where people will be working out and for you to actually build muscle or get leaner or things of this nature, you have to actually do a little bit more than you did previously. And that's how it happens. And so I'll give you an example. Let's say that for seven days I did not work out. Right. And, you know, I had my work stress and all these different things that are, that are going on. I've had that happen and my whoop reading will be around 42, right? But then when I go in and add four days of working out at that same exact time, that's when all my days are green and otherwise all my days are yellow, right? So you need stress at times to reach the goals that you need to reach, right? right? And when people say, that they go to the gym for their mental release, 
it's true, just not in the way that they think about it, right? So think about when you go to the gym, it allows you to take your mind off of things. You know, you really, you you tend to be focused on that thing in that moment. Um, So that, that's a good thing. And then uh, think about what also happens, you know, especially this happens with runners a lot where, you know, they're just tired. And so, so they are more recovered, more restful when they, you know, hit the sack. This of course assumes that um, they are, uh, you know, eating an appropriate amount for, for what they're doing. So, um, so I thought that was interesting because like, you know, I had a week recently where I wasn't able to make it to the gym at all. And my whoop readings were just awful, you know, and then boom, go to the gym four to five times a week and every day is green. And it really just shows you that if you have good food in place, that if you have good rest in place, that added stress from working out, stress is not always a bad thing. Stress is the thing that allows you to adapt to the new thing. So kind of keep that in mind. Yeah. And exactly what I say is that like cortisol production that sort of will go haywire when the amount of stress on your body is greater than your body's ability to recover from that stress. So yes, our bodies need stress. They need, um, I mean, spoil alert. Our next tip is going to talk about exercise. So, um, but when your body's ability to recover from that stress is impaired, Um, that's when I see either, you know, weird things with weight, weight starts trending upward. Um, people start talking about, you know, their um, bloating in their, their stomach area or, you know, some uncomfortable (laughs) word that I hate, but the fluffy feeling, you know, things like that. What are, what happened when you're producing? No, we were tired fluffy, Susie. Yes, I know. I was like, I can't say fluffy. Um, um, yeah. But yeah. No, you will hold water when cortisol is high. But but man, that's that sentence that you just said is so so important. It's really about your body's ability to recover from you know the 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 stimulus that you're putting in place. So great. And and food and sleep are a big part of that. So um, yeah. okay. So you know, moving on to the next point, we're gonna you know emphasize exercise. Um, and what we call not just eat to perform, but what in the industry is known as LIS, uh, and that stands for low intensity steady state. So that, that's all the things that you are doing that's not really technically your exercise. So you're walking, um, you're doing chores around the house, uh, playing with your children, um, you know, standing up, sitting down, those sorts of things. So. The reason, obviously, everyone knows that exercise is important to fat loss. Um, you will get some people on a very low calorie diet or maybe on a, a ketogenic diet who feel like they can lose weight without exercise. Um, and maybe they can for a period of time. Um, but I will say that that exercise um, has more benefits than just, you know, for calorie burning. <laughs> Um, we need to be adding lean body mass, um, especially as we get older, you will burn more calories at rest, um, by having more lean body mass and you will also live longer. Um, those are just 
two givens. Um, and then the amount of bliss that you do is important. You will burn more calories throughout your day um, with your list than you will with your exercise. So I think ten, people tend to think, you know, I went for to the gym and I, you know, beast mode for an hour and I burned all those calories and now I can sit for the rest of the day. Um, and that is a misnomer, I think. So, so you, I, I also get a lot of people who want to count their exercise as their list. Um, so it's, you know, important to emphasize those are two different things because um, our bodies weren't built to sit all day um, and then go hammering out in the gym for an hour and then return to, you know, Netflix watching all night. That's just not um, what our bodies were designed to do. Our bodies were designed to move. Um, when you think about our ancestors, um, they were moving. So, uh, you know, when it comes to, to losing fat, um, you know, even if you have a good exercise regimen in place, if you are sitting a lot um, in your day, um, you're not maximizing that potential to see more fat loss. Um, you're yeah, that's why I think, you know, I thought it was a great example of what I was talking about earlier where, you know, the data showed that cortisol was higher, stress was higher, recovery was less when I wasn't working out. But when I was able to get in the workouts, right, the the – the amount of stress was augmented by the amount of recovery. Like even in the case of where I wasn't working out, ironically, I w also wasn't recovering well, right? right. So, so that's something to think about as, as well because, you know, your body kind of needs that, that ebb and flow. Um, the other thing that Susie talked about that, you know, relates to the example that I used earlier was the example where, um, the person lost weight as her calories started to go up. There's no secret there, right? She was doing more, you know, um, recovering better, things of this nature. So not holding on to water near as much. Um, the fact that we were able to get her a little bit more conscious of some things, you know, a lot of times, um, you know, what happens when you're at, super low calories, you know, you build in, you know, cheat days and free foods here and free foods there. And all of a sudden, you know, you start to realize that all these free foods and the, these cheat days are getting out of hand and it's kind of working against your ultimate goal. And so when we talk about, you know, trying to have that sustained energy, so that you feel energetic, so that you, you know, I mean, I can't, you know, before before napping and, and, and kind of having that, you know, one hour break, right? And, and, and I know that a lot of people listen to this and go, there's just no way that I can nap. You 100% could take your lunch hour, All right? right? That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about taking a lunch hour and then being able to take a little bit of a break and whatever your version of that is, maybe that is meditation, um, I think what you'll end up seeing is that you end up, um, if you view that time as a restful period, you will find that you have more energy throughout the day. And, and Matthew does go into that quite a bit in the book that um, whether you have carbohydrates or not, you're going to have that midday lull. A lot of people will say, 
you know, that are low carb, they'll say that carbs actually cause that midday lull. That's incorrect. That actually happens no matter what. The reason why low carb people won't have that experience is because cortisol is higher for them, right? So they're, you know, dealing with kind of this stress hormone. And it's kind of interesting because I was listening to this podcast where Matthew Walker, he was talking to Joe Rogan and Joe Rogan sleeps five hours a day. And Matthew was telling him like, this is a really bad thing. And he's like, you know, given his carb theories and stuff like that, he's like, yeah, it's not carb related at all. You know, and he kind of went through, you know, what I just described. So um, just something to think about there as we kind of move forward. But, but that, that exercise piece, you know, the way that I like to say it, it's like having two tools in your toolbox you know, so kind of keep that in mind. Yeah. And I'll share an example real quick from a client I had who had lost a hundred pounds before even joining each reform, but she had stalled and her, you know, weight was starting to go back up. So this is what we're talking about with, you know, homeostasis and, and how her body had adjusted to low calorie. And then, so we started to increase her calories and then it was like a light switch, you know, weight started going down. She's lost 40 pounds now. Um, and part of that is, her movement so when i added more calories you know all of a sudden she's getting 10,000 11,000 12,000 steps she added um a local hiking challenge that she got involved with a group that hikes and they have a challenge and so she does hiking um she has never let um calories be in charge so she is the one in charge and so when we increased calories she took it upon herself to say, I'm going to use this fuel as energy to then increase my activity. And so she exercises, I want to say, maybe three days a week with a strength training program. And then, you know, the rest of the time it's her hiking and walking. And um, she actually lives close to where I do and it snows here and she still gets outside. And um, if she can't go outside, she'll find somewhere else to go inside and walk. And so that is a big difference that I see um, between some successful clients and then some other clients who struggle um, is that those clients tend to think it's the calories that are in charge. Um, and so anytime they want to lose weight, they just want to cut calories. Um, but I will say it's the clients who understand that they're in charge um, versus the calories are the ones that that end up being far more successful in the long run. And a lot of that is is um, because of what they choose to do. Um, I'm trying to shelter you guys from the the background noise. Oh, I, I wonder what you're doing. I don't know if you can hear the beeping, but it just feels like every time we do like a podcast or webinar that, you know, there is literally a garbage truck that is having some type of repair issue right outside my window. So I'm trying to mute as much as possible. So let's try and uh, finish the, the next yeah. Because I have no idea how much that beeping is going to go on. <laughs> okay, so we'll move on to the next one. The last, um, but certainly not least, we're, we're going to talk about nutrition um, as a way to manage your fat loss. Um, I know that in general, Eat to Perform is a program where we give you macros, we give you protein, carbs, and fat, and uh, you know we don't necessarily tell you what to eat to get there. Um, but I will say that food quality matters, and um, we emphasize uh, you know, fruits, vegetables, uh, healthy oils, um, lean proteins, 
those sorts of things. And so if you are are looking at your nutrition as calories only, I think you are missing something because um, there's a high level of micronutrition um, that you get by eating vegetables and fruits. And uh, there are studies that show <laughs> that um, your fat cells will actually can shrink, um, you know, by eating more vegetables. So, um, and then eating the right amount. We've spent a lot of time in the last 51 minutes talking about um, making sure that you are eating um, enough. So eating, you know, a proper amount at times with, with deficit cycles built in um, will help you manage your, and um, you know, your fat loss over time and will help you keep weight off and will also just help you feel better in general. I'm gonna turn it over to you, Paul. Well, I think, you know, you're kind of making the big argument for the people that are buying the custom meal plans, right? Because when we look at the, the meal plans and why those are important for people and why people like to get something that is a little bit more specific to how they eat and their family eats is that the place that most people struggle is getting started at all mm -hmm. right and so so most people really never get to that place or they have one or two things that they do that is slightly better but it's not really addressing the the big thing you know more often than not people will think that they overeat drastically but they don't, especially if they weigh themselves fairly regularly. You know, it's it's very uncommon for us to encounter people that are, you know, chicken wings and beers, you know, every day of the week, right? Um, most people have some level of consciousness to it. It's just a matter of one, you know, are you focusing on down too much or one, are you focusing on you know, access too much and, you know, kind of tugging at both sides is really how you want to do it. But quality of food, I know, you know, for the longest time I made like the biggest thing about vegetables and, uh, you know, I went through this phase where, where I would juice vegetables, which I, I'm not even sure that I would recommend to people. Um, it was a very time consuming thing and I did not have, I had a lot of time at that, at that point in my life. I could not juice vegetables right now, it, you know? Um, and, and, um, but it did open me up to my palate to being more accepting of vegetables and, and things of that nature. What I will say though, is we do see people that overdo vegetables and their fibers at like 95 a day, you know, and then they're like, but I'm so full and I'm so bloated. And it's like, well, you're full and you're bloated because you're eating celery sticks 87 times a day. Right. So lay up on the, the celery sticks. Let's bring in a little bit more starches so we can kind of get those muscles full, keep that cortisol low and then kind of bring in the good sleep and the exercise and all the things that we, we talked about there. Uh, I think the other thing too is that people focus a little bit too much on food quality without a lot of focus on amount and so they'll either under eat or overeat as a result but typically if you're eating a lot of you know vegetables and lean proteins 
you're not going to be near as hungry. That might seem beneficial to you, but it will actually have a net negative for your metabolism over time. So that's the argument for kind of having that both ebb and flow point of view. Um, all right. Yeah. So I feel like we did that. Yeah. And finally, the garbage truck guy left. Yes. <laughs> that was beeping forever. Um, all right. So, uh, yeah, not a lot going on. Um, we will have this out as a podcast. If you ever miss any of these, you know, we do send them out as a podcast. Usually those come out over the weekend. I try to get them out so people can listen to them on the way to work on Mondays. Um, other than that, you know, I think I'm good. Anything from you, Susie? No, just, uh, you know, stay tuned. If you're in the Better Dieting group, we have some challenges going on. Um, always love to have you guys. Um, I say you guys, and then I'm like, oh, let me say that. <laughs> we always love to have everyone participate in those challenges. So check those out. They're typically, uh, uh, what is it, when you pinned, pinned at the top of the page. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah well, the next, um, my wife wanted AirPods. Oh, I love my AirPods. I have and, them. And, um, you know, she's like, you should give away some AirPods. I was like, okay, yeah. fine, we'll see. You know, so I put it up, you know, the other day, and we've gotten great response from it. So, um, so yeah, be on the lookout for that, and uh, we'll talk to you guys later. Have a great week, and see, I did it. So Yeah, see? <laughs> okay. Talk to Bye. everyone later. Bye now.